It has been a while since we've had one of you up here with me. Um, we're back with that today with Brandon Contreras. Brandon, you can come on up. So normally we do this on the <clears throat> first Sunday, but we're in a little section. We're studying Ephesians, and I wanted to get through that section before we did this. So here we are. Brandon's married to Beth. They've been married almost 10 years. Three children, Charlie, Claire, and Bennett. Uh you work in sales at AmeriCraft Carton, selling boxes. Uh, so lots of boxes there. And the Contreras' have been at Grace for six years. Uh, but I don't want to get ahead of ourselves. I was just fascinated with your family history. Yeah, so why don't you fun. tell us a little bit about that. Your grandparents on your dad's side came from Mexico. Uh, kind of tell us about how that Yeah, happened. my... Um I'm, I'm half Mexican, for those that don't know. I don't look it, I know, but I am. Uh, you sound it. I, I definitely do. Um, <laughs> I've been accused of only speaking Spanish at Mexican restaurants. Um, it's the easiest place to do it, because that's where most people around here speak Spanish. Uh, so my grandfather um, was, well, both of my grandparents, supposedly, we'll get into that in a second, were born in Mexico. My grandfather came across the border after third grade and began traveling and working in agricultural fields as a kid growing up. That's just did not come with a parent. Yeah, he came with an uncle. His father had passed away. I'm not sure what the story is with, uh, was with his mom. He never really shared much about his family um, growing up. It was, you know, it's rough when you're from a very poor family in Mexico and you do what you can to get across the border. So he came across after third grade and um, obviously was uneducated, but did well for himself and just traveled around the Southwest, working where there was work, whatever was in season. That's where they'd go. They'd work where there was work. Seven, eight, nine years old. Yeah, yeah. It's amazing. And my grandmother was born. um, There's controversy even in our family about it. There's a city on the border of Texas called Del Rio. On the other side is Ciudad Acuna, and nobody really knows where she was born. But the assumption is that she was born in Mexico, was brought as very little child across in Texas, and then they just said she was born in Texas. That always makes it easier. So tell us about how they gained their citizenship. Yeah, they, they got married uh, when they were young. I, I just got a text from my dad this morning that said they were, I think they were 18 and 20 when they finally got married. Um, but they met as, I think as teenagers, younger teenagers, in the, working in the fields. And uh, my, this was when World War II was happening, and my grandfather enlisted in the Army. You, then you could, as an illegal immigrant, enlist and fight for your country. So he did. He fought in the army and gained a citizenship. And so my family are citizens because he fought in World War II as an illegal immigrant. And he fought under Patton. He did. Yeah, I was really curious um, when I was a teenager and I started thinking about it. Well, my grandfather told me he fought in North Africa and Southern Europe in the army. I was like, it's, it's kind of like where Patton was. And so one day I asked him, we were, we were sitting down having dinner. I said, hey, Grandpa, did you, um, did you ever fight under under Patton, and he was like, yeah, I, yeah, I did, and he cussed me out one time, and I was like, all right, cool. It's <laughs> <That's> exciting. <laughs> Not many people can say that. No. Well, no. quite a few. Well, yeah, actually, probably, probably everybody that fought under Patton can say that he cussed him out. Yeah, so. exactly. It happens. Um, now, this obviously affects the way you think about the issue of immigration. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. do you want to say anything to us about the way you think or we should think about the issue? Um, well... Obviously, I come from a very strong bias um, of immigration, and 
You know, it's just interesting, and I think a lot of times conservatives look at it as a kind of a black and white issue of it's illegal, you shouldn't do it, you're damaging our country. Um, but I would say a lot of the opposite is true. I think, unlike what Donald Trump says, most illegal immigrants from Mexico are not rapists and criminals. Um, I don't think my grandfather was, although he had some sons and grandsons that definitely are criminals, but they were born in the U.S., um, so I would just say to look at what the Bible says about how we should treat sojourners and aliens that are in our land. Um, it's very clear that we are to be compassionate toward them. And it's, it's a difficult issue for anyone who's an immigrant. Um, they are having a very hard time, a much harder time than you probably imagine they're having. And it's a very difficult life. And they need help. So There are certainly those that are called to um, invest in those political conversations, decisions, <laughs> Uh, at the same time, I love that. The way that we have to think about this biblically is we have to build a framework from the scriptures. And what we see over and again is a call and command to love the sojourner, to love the immigrant, because God loves the immigrant. And uh, so it, it informs very much how we think about this issue, and uh, especially as we interact with those that are here. And not to mention... Uh, the help to the workforce economy, things like that. Certainly those that are in a labor industry can understand that. But anyway, um, your grandparents settled in California. That's where your parents met. That's where you were born. You grew up there in Mexico, um, New Mexico. Um, they often get confused. Yes. <laughs> uh, so tell us a little bit about how you came to know the Lord. So we moved to New Mexico when I was about, I guess I was about eight years old, um, at that time, neither of my parents were believers. Nobody in my family was a believer. I think, except my, my Catholic grandmother, I very much believe that she knew Jesus well. Um, so it was, it was interesting growing up, and we were kind of, kind of a moral household. Um, we moved to New Mexico, and me and my sister kind of went different directions. And I, I forgot to say this to you. My sister got invited to church and started going. I was jumped into a gang as a nine-year-old. And so it was different paths. Uh, it's quite different. Yeah. It's, yeah, I mean, you know, you have community in one, you have community in the other, but they have opposite outcomes. Um, so she starts going to church. She becomes a believer as a, as a young girl. She starts inviting me, really saying, you should come, you should come, you should come. And finally, I went to vacation Bible school at a very traditional Southern Baptist church in southeast New Mexico. And that was where I very, for the very first time I heard the gospel, despite going to Catholic churches as a kid with my grandmother. Um, but I didn't really understand what the Christian life was about. I didn't really have an understanding of what the Bible was about. I knew this story of Jesus dying on the cross, raising and forgiving of all of our sins. I didn't really know what sins were. And so it was, it was interesting. But then some time passes. You move back to California. Yeah. 15-ish? Yeah, 15. And uh, describe how you did then grow when you kind of high school. Yeah, I was still involved in the wrong crowds. Um, I just kind of went wherever I was accepted. And from when, you're, when you move a lot, it, and I didn't move a lot, we moved twice, but to me it was a lot as a kid. And so it's just difficult in transitional times of your life to go into a new place. And uh, so we get to California with the wrong crowd, with the wrong crowd, with the wrong crowd. I finally get in with another wrong crowd, and there's a guy in that group named Tony. And we realized that we had this common connection of this youth pastor that had both influenced us. My buddy Tony grew up in the foster system. His dad had been in prison his whole life. Um, 
and we, we realized we had this connection, this youth pastor, and we said, hey, well, are you a Christian? Yeah, well, are you a Christian? Yeah, well, we said we are, but we're doing these things we shouldn't be doing. And so we confronted each other about it and said, well, why don't we go to this guy and ask him to disciple us, and we'll turn our lives around. And so we did. We, for an hour and a half every week, we would go, and we would, you know, go get a pizza on the way and go hang out and do discipleship for an hour and a half and really learn what the Bible said. Huh. I bet a lot of you can relate to, you know, maybe coming to know the Lord early or young and then maybe not really getting, understanding, growing in your maturity and understanding later. And probably a big part of that for many in here was someone, uh, whether in a group or just one-on-one, taking the time to invest in you. Uh, I know that's the case for Tiffany. When we were brand new Christians in Knoxville, there was a woman that spent every week with her for like two years and just invaluable, extremely significant in her uh, personal growth, maturity. And I say all that to say, there may be someone in here that recognizes that need personally. Uh, We all have that need uh, at some point in our growth. And, you know, just to be more intentionally invested in, have someone particularly pour into you. And uh, if that's you, you don't have to raise your hand, but, you know, just uh, please reach out and say something. And there are many people in this church that would be glad to come alongside, whether one-on-one or in a group. And um, we could arrange that. So uh, back to Brandon. You went to Cal Baptist University, which is where you met Bess. Yeah. Uh, both of you were on music, music scholarship. And uh, tell us a little bit about how you all got together. Yeah, so we have there's orientation week for new students, and we were both transfer sophomores. Um, we were also there before that for music. Uh, we had to be there early to practice for the music groups we were a part of. Because uh, music starts early in the year, performances and whatnot, so we're there. And during the new student orientation week, all the kind of all the transfer sophomores and juniors get together and kind of hang out. They're different than the freshmen. They feel like they're a little, you know, higher up there in the food chain. And so we had a small group that were mostly involved in music that were transfer sophomores, and we all hung out. Um, but when I first got there, I looked a lot different than I do now. I, my head was completely shaved. I looked more like Jeff Nevels. Um, just, it, 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 well, it depends. Bess was completely unattracted to me at that point. Um, She's been unattracted to me. Yeah. <laughs> Sometimes it works out. Uh, I had earrings. I, you know, it was, I was just... It was, it was just different. She was in California. I dressed like I was from California. And that was different for her. But she was attracted to one of my buddies. We, played, we both played trumpet. And so we became really, really fast friends. And uh, they went on a couple dates. And they, I guess, probably best decided she didn't like him enough to pursue it. And so he and I went out to my parents' house, which was an hour and a half away. And we're in the car. I said, hey, man, what would you think about me asking Bess out? And he was like, yeah, cool, go for it. And so it was great. And, uh, that was easy. It was easy. Yeah, it was really easy. Like, oh, weird, okay. So we, we started dating. And, um, well, you dated for a while, then you broke up because you were a jerk. I was the total jerk. Yeah. And, um, you wanted to get back together, but Bess laid down the law. So tell yeah, us about that. We were, we were, <laughs> we, we were in Tennessee, actually, um, doing a trip with the University Choir and Orchestra. We were performing at Germantown Baptist Church. And leading up to that, she had told me, um, if you want to date me again, um, it has to be because you want to marry me. And if you do that, you first have to talk to my parents. Um, 
which was completely, I mean, just unbelievably intimidating. Bess's dad is 6'4". I'm not. Um, very successful business person. I was not. Um, it, so it was really, really terrible. And so we, we performed it at GBC that night, and my buddy Lawson, who I had to ask if I could date Bess, told me, and he prayed for me and everything. He said I was just white as a ghost. He said he, he thought I was going to pass out while we were singing. And so he was ready to, like, dive and save me if he needed to. Um, so I, I went and asked him, and they were like, if it's cool with Bess, it's okay with us. Um, at least that's how I remember it going. And uh, it may have not gone that way at all, but I don't know because I was not there in the moment. Um, so we got back together, and about, I guess, about a month and a half later, we got engaged. And then got six married. months after that, we got married. I want to stop off there for a second. Uh, many in here have children, and I think that thing that Bess did is awesome. And I think we should celebrate it and put it into practice. Um, your kids, our kids will be dating before long, and uh, I think we at least need to think about how are we going to deal with that, you know? Uh, we have to think about these things. We need a little bit of a plan before we get there, or it'll just sweep us up. I think that's a great idea if you have a girl. Uh, that young man needs to get your permission. That young man needs to go through what he went through. Like, if he's worth his salt at all, he's willing to have a hard conversation, you know? And so I just think uh, hooray for Bess, and uh, I think that's great. If there's anything a young man needs, it's a little humbling, and it sounds like it was humbling. Also, with, with uh, if you have boys, I mean... Just also pursuing a woman that way, guarding her heart, respecting her, and that sort of thing. It's maybe not the way that uh, you did it, but, you know, you could probably find some holes in the way you did it. So um, I just think that's very good. And for us to think about shepherding our children through that process, I think about we don't send our children, give them a, uh, you know, handgun and say, you know, go figure it out. I mean... But I, we, we should recognize that uh, all that comes with a dating relationship is that dangerous. I mean, to our souls and, and to our marriages, and we don't know what we're doing, and so there's a shepherding needed. Anyway, back to Brandon. Uh, Bess always had this heart for missions, but you didn't always have that. And so tell us about why she had it and how you got it. Yeah, she, she's always been more spiritual than me. I mean, she was saved when she was like six. She was singing he's got the whole world in his hands for brother or something she goes to her mom and she realizes hey god really is huge and he really could crush the world and i was like golly that's crazy like she's like six and so she was always reading scripture and she had good role models in her parents and um when she's 15 or 16 she's reading in the bible about the nations and and realizing about going and and preaching the gospel and doing all this and she goes and talks to her missions pastor um, at Germantown Baptist and sees this brochure and realizes, okay, that's God telling me that's where I have to go. So she went to India when she was 16, um, which is a scary place to go when you're an adult. And so I can't imagine what her parents went through sending a 16-year-old attractive blonde young woman to India. The next summer, she went to Germany. Uh, the summer after that, she went back to India. Um, and the summer after that, she went to... I think she may, she may have skipped a summer, and then she went to China after that. Hmm. And it was when she got back from the China trip that I broke up with her because we kind of had – I didn't quite have an understanding of, of, of our role 
among the nations yet. And you and can see that's a me. primary yeah. part of what she wants, right, to be, exactly. wants to do. It was a huge deal for her. We were apart for those five weeks when she was in China, and it, I think it scared me so much that I broke up with her when she got back. So how did God put in your heart this passion to uh, That following semester, I took a class um, at California Baptist University with a guy named Jeff Lewis. He's a co-founder of the Passion Conference. Um, he's very involved in missions. He goes to Turkey every summer and teaches a class and has a little booklet, and I brought it for Chris right here. It's called God's Heart for the Nations. God's Heart for the Nations. It's an eight-week thing that he did in the first semester, and I went through that and realized, wow, God really has the nations as a big part of his glory. And at that point, I realized that's – I got it. I got it figured out now. I know that this is, this is going to be part of my life too. That's cool. You know, uh, for those of you that lead a grace group, this could be a cool grace group study. Uh, I've, I want to look through it and do something with it in here at some point. But anyway, uh, so your plan was to get married and to come back here for seminary, Mid-America Baptist Seminary. Um, eventually, y'all wanted to go overseas, but God kind of sped that up. So tell yeah. us about how that happened. Um, so we go through that year. Um, where we're broken up, we get back together, we're engaged. The following summer of 2005, I went on my first mission trip to India um, through my degree program at school. And I got back, I guess got back in June or July. We got married in August. We finished up school and we get, we get to Memphis. And in January of 2006, we both, Bess and I both started at Mid-America Seminary, um, Mid-America Baptist Seminary. It's not one of these six main Southern Baptist schools but it was started um, by Adrian Rogers and some other guys in Memphis. So it's very conservative, very fundamental, and very not reformed, um, and very not California also, um, and very not Mexican, and very, I mean, like, it, it was the extreme opposite of anything I was, um, except for the fact that they were Christians, um, legitimately, I thought. Um, so stuff starts happening at Germantown Baptist. So in 2006, if any of you were here, you know of the huge split that happened at Germantown Baptist. Bess and I were on staff in the missions department at that time there at GBC. In addition to attending Mid-America Seminary, um, the seminary got very involved in the split at Germantown Baptist and really caused a lot more problems than were necessary. Um, they vowed that they were not going to get involved, but they were speakers at all of the meetings for the people that were trying to get rid of the staff at Germantown Baptist. And so it was a really hard place to be. So we get an email at that time from the missions pastor at Germantown Baptist, who we're working for, from a group called Focus International, who's involved with the International Mission Board of the Southern Baptist Convention. And it's about looking for, for recent, university, recent college graduates that are looking to go overseas and be a part of university ministry in a Muslim area, which is what Bess and I thought we wanted to do. So we start talking to them. We realize this isn't it. It's, it's in rural Africa, in Tanzania, and it's like, we can't, we can't do that. We can't, you know, best can't go out and catch a chicken and wring its neck and then pluck it for dinner that night or the next night. Um, much like I was like pale as a ghost during that meeting with her parents, she looked that way when we were talking to the people about going to Tanzania about the jobs. It was like, okay, we can't do this. Um, although I had to power through. She, we didn't power through for that one for her. Um, we got, it was smart. Yeah, the guy told me, he's like, listen, don't take your wife somewhere she doesn't want to go. And so we started making frantic phone calls um, and emails because we were about to go to this meeting with the International Mission Board, and we thought we had to know at that point where we were going. Turns out you didn't have to know, but 
we didn't know that. And so we like had picked out where we were going to go before we even got there. And everybody gets there. They're like looking through job descriptions, what country they might want to go to. And we're like, oh, okay. You're set. Yeah. So we figured it out by then. So where'd you end up and what were you doing? We, um, and, and it's totally, we saw that God really worked it out. We emailed all these people in Malaysia, in China, in France, in Turkey, in Germany, in everywhere we'd been or we knew somebody that had a connection. And Jeff Lewis got us connected with the strategy coordinator in Istanbul, Turkey, who happens to be from Collierville, Tennessee, who also at that point happened to be in Collierville, Tennessee, not in Istanbul, Turkey. And so we, we literally met him the next day at Starbucks on Poplar in Collierville. And, and it was amazing. So we, we really fell in love with them, fell in love with the job description, and we knew that Turkey was a place we could go because we had a lot of friends that went there in college. So we ended up in Istanbul, Turkey, working with, um, with university students in Turkey. How long were you there? We were there two and a half years, from January of '07 until June of '09. Um, so tell us, well, tell us a little bit about the host family you were living with, and I mean they were. No, tell us a little bit about the makeup of Turkey, and then the host family and all that. Yeah, so so Turkey is is ninety nine. The estimates say like ninety nine point nine percent Muslim, um, but it's also like. In Istanbul, it's very, very Western, very European, and pretty secular. Um, but the people there, they're just people. You know, they, they like to eat. They like to go out. They have cell phones. They have nice cars. You know, they just, just a lot they of live them go life. To yeah, they just, yeah, a lot of them are just Muslims. Yeah. Um, but their family you live more, with, were they Muslim? But it's more cultural, Islam. Like cultural Christianity in the South. Gotcha. Yeah. So we, um, before we got there, we were we were told where we'd be living. The family that we we're going to be working with um, found us this apartment that was kind of across the street from from where he was living. Um, but it was a little different. It wasn't our own apartment. It was the loft above um, the building owner's apartment. And so we were up, kind of like the penthouse suite. But it had real, like really short ceilings, and which was fine for us. Um, <laughs> but we had to go in their front door and go up the stairs to get to our front door. And so he thought it would be great because it would be a great way to learn the culture, to learn the language, because we were forced to live with this family that spoke zero English. And it was. It was great. We learned a lot, and we got really close with that family. And we had no clue the impact we would have on them just living close to them. Tell us a little bit about that. So you're, as you learn the language, sharing the gospel with them and... Yeah, we, we, you know, we give them the Jesus film in Turkish. We give them a Turkish Bible and they put it on their... In that culture, you put the Quran on the highest shelf in your most prominent room because it's, it's very important. And so we gave them a Bible one night and, and the son took it and he put it right next to the Quran on that very high spot because it's, it's a holy book. Mm-hmm. And they believe Jesus is a prophet, and a lot of our prophets are their prophets. And so it was neat to see that they put it right there. And we knew that, you know, one book has power, one doesn't. Mm-hmm. Uh, not the book, but... Um, so we're living with them. We're just, you know, they invite Bess down. The, 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 the woman and the daughter invite her down for breakfast all the time. They invite us down for dinner at 11 o'clock at night after we've already eaten dinner hours before and, like, are in our pajamas ready to go to bed. Um, the way they do it, so... Um, she always barges in our, in our, um, into our apartment looking for whatever, which led to some crazy things happening. Um, I can see that. Yeah, yeah. 
I won't tell the one story. Bess would be mad at me about it. But yeah. um, it was it, needless to say, it was crazy. She would come upstairs, and I'd be washing dishes, and she would like push me out of the way. She's this little Turkish lady, and has head covering, and just it, it was wild. She showed me how to wash dishes, and it was it was weird. Yeah, but it was fun. But even that had a real impact on her. Yeah, it did. I was helping her son move one time, and so we get into the moving truck, and it's the driver, and and, and she's sitting in the middle, and I'm sitting on the outside, and so we're all kind of crammed in. I think her son was in there, too. I think all four of us were crammed in there. And, um, and so we're driving, and in Turkish, she's speaking to the truck driver and telling him, oh, this guy, is he's American, um, and he's Christian, and you can tell his God is different than ours uh, because he loves his wife. And because he helps her do things in the house, and because um, he 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 does stuff for her, he really loves her. So you know that his God is different than ours, mm-hmm. because he treats her well. That's amazing, and really, I mean, as they were sharing the gospel, Brandon and I talked about it. it's not that we, it's not that our actions say everything. We have to say the actual gospel to people. I mean, that's the, what God uses to convert, and yet. It's our actions that speak so loudly and kind of adorn that and uh, that just put skin on it for people. And, you know, I was thinking about it. I mean, I don't know that that's the case in all Muslim culture, uh, that that is such a powerful witness. I don't know what their home makeup is like. But I think about it in our culture. I mean, how loudly that speaks to people when a husband lays down his life for his wife and vice versa, when... Marriage is in the condition that it's in in our culture. It's just a powerful witness. And uh, anyway, that was very encouraging to hear about. Uh, so you came back to Memphis because during the recession, they cut the IMB International Mission Board, which is the kind of parent missionary company for all of the Southern Baptist Convention, which is huge. Um, they cut all short-term missionaries because of the recession, and short-term meant if you're not making a career out of it. So, you know, two and a half years was short-term. Um, they had to come back. Now you've been at Grace for six years. Uh, and it's really, you've now found an opportunity to put Turkey on the map at Grace of Ann. So tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, we always, I mean, we, from the time we got here, um, we knew that somehow we wanted to get the church involved somehow in the Muslim world and hopefully in Turkey. Um, we knew that there wasn't much going on at Grace in the Muslim world, so we thought it would be a great entry point for Turkey to be that place. Uh, so I've talked to Jonathan about it for a long time. Uh, he's had a real heart for it because his in-laws were missionaries in Turkey for a long time. Um, and so I guess last summer I sat in front of Grace Venture and presented a ministry in Turkey that we were involved with and got it approved. And so now the church gives every month to that ministry, and we're working on establishing a partnership with a Turkish pastor um, to to be their kind of their sister church and do what we can for them. Planning to maybe take a trip? Yeah, definitely take a trip and hopefully, you know, regular trips. If yeah. not every year, every other year, um, but definitely regular trips. So maybe some people from here yeah, go on that trip? At least 10, I think, probably. All right. <laughs> well, you know, I think that uh, if these people are like me, uh, we think Muslim, and a lot of what comes into our head is what we've seen on the news or whatever, and... Uh, Anyway, that creates uh, kind of a caricature of all Muslims, but also creates a real distance in our hearts. And so one of the barriers that has to be broken down to ever even just celebrate what God is doing through a ministry team from Grace in Turkey is some of those barriers that are built up in our hearts. And uh, 
No better way to do that than to pray for Muslim people, pray for all people groups, but uh, the Muslim people, particularly in Turkey, as we have a uh, Turkey ministry team. So there are these. There's a few of them on the back table, and we can get more. I know Gwen Scholes has more. It's Pray for Turkey Cities, put out by the International Mission Board. Um, and talking about, you know, they're real people, they have cell phones, they have families, whatever it is. Um, I've gone through this, and it's really cool. It highlights 15 of the major uh, Turkish cities, and it just helped to create or to break down some of those barriers that I think are built up in a lot of our hearts. And not only just getting information like, oh, they are real people that go through real tragedies and, you know, have real things that they like and they like ice cream too and all that. And then, um, but also praying for them is just a great way. It, any group, any people group that you recognize those barriers in your heart, uh, regular prayer for them is a great way to break those down. So, if you're interested in that, you can pick one of those up on the back table, and uh, that's good. And I think we should, we could get a, quite a few people from this class to go on that trip. Yeah, I think it's it's a great you know, it's a great place. It's it's easy. You know, it's not Saudi Arabia, it's not Yemen, it's not you know a, a scary place. Mm-hmm. Although you know you see what's happening there in the news lately, you might think it's scary, but most of the fighting that happens there is between one of the minority people groups, the Kurds, and the Turkish government. And there's a lot of hostility there, but gotcha. you know, for the most part, it's you know, life happens. Yeah, you know, sometimes it's scary to drive around in certain neighborhoods in Memphis. Yeah. So, a um, couple of additional tidbits: uh, Brandon and Beth both sing, and so he was talking about they sing a lot with their kids, and you know, that struck a chord with me because we sing. It started more like just being silly and our kids are silly and you like to be silly with your kids. I'm sure many of you dance around your kids in a way that you don't dance normally. Um, which is good. You know, it's good. But uh, And then the whole singing thing. And I, I thought about, I think it's a missing link in the discipleship of our children in our homes a lot of times. And not necessarily regular scheduled times of singing, though that helps before bed or whatever. But um, you know, just making singing, uh, Colossians talks about psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Um, if you could ever get over your fear of singing poorly for most of us, you know, I just think it's a great way. The, the end of missions is worship. What, what we're trying to do in making disciples of all nations is really create worshipers. That's the end. When we all get there, uh, that's we'll all have in common this just kind of robust eternal worship of God. And so one of the ways to bring them in into our very personal relationship with God is to bring them into our worship, both in corporate worship and even in our home. So I like that. And then on a a bit of a lighter note, you claim to be a good whistler. You probably parch from talking for 30 minutes. <laughs> I think so. But can you whistle now, or is it I, not a good I don't time? Know. Probably not a good time. We'll we'll pass. But <laughs> you know, catch him sometime. And uh, anyway, I can appreciate a good whistler. How about a hand for Brandon Contreras? Does anyone have any quick thoughts or questions for Brandon or for myself before we? I have a random question. Okay. This is about Muslim culture. Okay. Um, we used to have some Muslims that lived in our neighborhood in Cordova. They were very closed off to themselves. I mean, we're going trying to meet them. When they first moved in, they wouldn't answer the door. They were very careful at the bus stop around my children. They would run their kids out real quick. Very closed off. And not too long ago in the grocery store, I tried to small talk with a lady, cover, head covered, about, I don't know, items in her grocery cart. 
She wouldn't talk to me. I guess I'm just wondering, in our culture right now, around here, is what is that just the Muslims I have interacted with? Does that seem to be common? How do we interact with them around here? Yeah, you that's a good question. It probably just depends on the person, because um, you know the, the easiest way to be would be to establish some sort of common ground with them. Now, I mean, I'll, you know, trying to talk about what's in their grocery cart, you know, that's one way. Or um, I would say probably one of the easiest things, if you could have a conversation with them, would be to ask if you know your kids could play together. But you know, they might be so kind of scared about living in. Our culture right now with what's going on, I don't know. So you think they it's may, more a fear on their part? It could be fear, but it could also be that they are s- such conservative Muslims that they don't want to interact with you because it would make them unclean, honestly. And that is yeah. an aspect for sure. Yeah. I mean, we have a, a Muslim family who lives across the street. The woman is so friendly, like with our kids, and she's just... But interestingly, she's not that friendly. I've never actually seen them together, and he's not very friendly at all. We have had a couple of <laughs> smiles and small talk, but he, they're pretty much a lot of times head down, you know, yeah. that kind of interaction. And yet this woman, there have been few opportunities where she's been friendly. And so, it's I think, odd that they would feel that way and still send their children to public schools, though, to me. Like, there's, a, well, there's a solid group at Dogwood. I mean, yeah, them yeah. They stick together. They, don't, they, they stick together. Yeah, they and for some of them, interact, yeah, and, and for some of them, they're sending their kids to public school to – and I don't want to sound like a you know conspiracy theorist, but a lot of Muslims in our country are missionaries. Yeah. There's a large group of Turkish Muslims here in Memphis, and they have a, a little cultural house that they're they're missionaries. Yeah, they're here. the The leader of their little Muslim cult is called Fethullah Gulen, and he was ousted from Turkey. He lives in Pennsylvania. He's a he's a political refugee, but he's seen as a threat in Turkey. They won't let him come back. They're trying to extradite him, and these people, um, because he's kind of a threat to the to the secular establishment. Uh, Turkey became a republic in 1923, and the founder of the Turkish Republic is Mustafa Kemal Ataturk, and he made it much more secular. The army is a protector, a, a, the protector of secularism, and so anybody that's seen as extremely religious is a threat to that system. And so there's you you could go back and read about it. There's a huge yeah. There's a huge case going on now about it. Yeah, so. they want to protect. I mean, and I think the important thing to know, and this, which one's which, I don't know. Yeah. Uh, but extremely religious Muslims, that does not mean extremist Muslim. Right. Like there are very religious Muslims that are not extremist and don't believe right. in violence. One of the I uh, one of the most helpful books in that regard, just learning about a devoted Muslim who extremism was so far away from his worldview is the book Seeking Allah, Finding Jesus. It's an excellent book about this guy's conversion to Christianity. But he you know, talks about a very religious family, and they were evangelists. They wanted to spread Islam. I mean, as apologists, evangelists, like they were defending their faith. But extremism was the furthest thing away yeah. from, from anything. That, now... That's not the case with some. Some Muslims are extremists. I don't know which one's which. I don't know the percentages. All that to say, uh, I think that's an important thing to know, yeah. too. But How receptive did you feel like the Muslims were when you were in Turkey? To the gospel or to like to, us as Americans? Both. Um, they loved us. I mean, we're like, we're like celebrities. It's weird. Um, but then you'd start talking to them, and they'd be like, well, we're not really big fans of America, but we love you. 
um, which is weird. You would get in arguments with taxi drivers because they're like, oh, we hate Bush. And we're like, oh, sorry. Um, you know, it's not my brother or something, you know. Yeah. <laughs> but at the same time, they like, most of them hate their prime minister or whoever he is. Yeah. Um, they were, most of them were very interested in hearing the gospel. They love having spiritual conversations. It was always really easy to do. So I think it's time to go. Let me pray. Like Father in heaven, thank you for the work that you've done in Brandon and Bess's life and their family. Uh, Lord, just the it's a great story uh, from his grandparents uh, to the way that you brought them to the Lord, to brought them together to serve in Turkey, uh, and now to bring a recognition, a knowledge, and a passion for serving. Uh, the people of Turkey, even from Grace of Anne. So establish his steps as he leads this ministry team. Uh, prod our hearts along to love our neighbors, uh, whether here or abroad. And Lord, uh, create in us a, a, a burning passion for the nations as well. Uh, perhaps some of us would go, uh, many of us will stay here, but even we can serve the nations in our prayers. Uh, and we do that now for the people of Turkey, Lord, that you would send a gospel movement there through this pastor, his church that Brandon's working with, uh, through other church startups that have a very hard time getting going, Lord, that you would just bless their ministry, uh, that you would distribute good seed and put it in good soil in people's hearts, grow good crops that bear good fruit for eternity. We pray that the gospel would sweep through their land, and uh, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Have a good day.